Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, let's... uh let us uh, take our Bibles and turn to uh, the beloved physician's gospel. That's uh, uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 17, as we have the opportunity to consider a Thanksgiving message. I've entitled it, Don't Be a No-Show. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, will be our focus here this morning. Well, it's common, as, uh, as you know, except maybe yesterday in Penn State's football game, if you saw it, I mean, Beaver Stadium was full to the brim with all sorts of fans. But it's common in most football games uh, that I've ever seen uh, to have people who own tickets who don't uh, show up. They don't bother to attend. Well, there are a variety of reasons. I heard about a couple that uh, they had uh, season tickets for years and years and years at Penn State, and uh, they didn't show up for a game, and the people around them, you know, you get to know them, right, over a period of time, found out one had died. Well, that was a good reason to be a no-show, I guess. But all kinds of reasons, car breakdowns, family stuff, work and that, all kinds of reasons why people... Uh, don't show up. Maybe it's a lousy uh, season, and why go sit in the snow and watch them lose again, right? That happens maybe to your team or not. Well, they'll commonly call them no-shows, and sometimes they'll say that. Uh, the record, the attendance today is blah, 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 right? 76,000-something with 1,543 no-shows. People that bought tickets but didn't show up. Well, it's one thing to miss a game. It's quite a whole different matter and certainly far more serious to be a no-show in this thing called the daily expression of our gratitude to our great and generous God. I'm calling you and I'm calling all of us here, myself included, for us not to be no-shows, not to be ingrates after having received everything. What do you have that you've not received? I remind you, you've, everything you have has been given to you. You came absolutely naked into that delivery room or wherever you were born. I was there. I saw three of them. Actually, I was there four, but I don't remember the first time when I was there. And you know what? You go out with nothing. Everything you have, every talent, every gift, every ability, every penny, every opportunity, every everything, Everything, every heartbeat, every breath has been given to you as a gift from God. And we are to be a people that are filled with thanksgiving. We are to be a people that are most uh, gracious in thanking our God. One man said it's amazing how uh, man is so filled with ingratitude. Jay, can you give me just a little more juice here? I don't know if I'm going to make it if I don't here. Well, it's a whole different matter to be a no-show in the daily giving of thanks to our Lord. 
Well, this week is, uh, we celebrate Thanksgiving, and what a most wonderful holiday that is, isn't it? Remembering all of God's goodnesses to us so that we might express our deepest heartfelt thanks to Him. I'm reminded it's not one day a year, though. Okay, we did that. Whoop, that's done. Okay? I've encouraged through the years all kinds of ways that you can practice the art of expressing gratitude to God, a prayer book, uh, a diary, maybe a journal. Some of you are into journaling. and Write down God's blessings. Faithy's uh, good at encouraging Sarah to do that. I heard her this week on the phone. God had uh, done something in Greg and Sarah's life, and Faith will say, well, you make sure you put that in your journal of God's blessings in your life so that when the hard times come again, and they will, you can read through that and see how God carried you through in his blessings. And we need those reminders. We sort of have amnesia of the head and heart. You know, we are Psalm 106 people, right? After God does so much, we forget. We forget. We forget. You been that way? Been in the foxhole, under fire, desperate, I'm not going to make it, cry out to God, bit by bit, God delivers you, sun comes up two days later, and we forget about it. We just get on with the journey of life. It was a situation that was dire. I loathe that about my own heart. I do. That tendency to, be, to, to, to forget. Now, we shouldn't drive forward looking in the rearview mirror of life. Some people do that, and they're a disaster on the road. Have you seen them? Maybe they were out driving with that icy uh, weather at 5 o'clock last Friday, this past Friday. Don't do that, but look in the rearview mirror. See where you've been. Remember what God has done, and give him thanks. Do you know God is pleased when we do that? Don't think that he's not. I'm not going to waste his time. He's bored hearing it. Uh-uh. Not only is God pleased, you and I, because of the tendency of our own heart, need to cultivate the practice of expressing gratitude to God because of our own condition, our depravity, and our perversively depraved natures. We tend to forget. We somehow think we deserve it. Aren't I just getting what I deserve type? Oh, God help us. Don't ever ask for God to give you what you deserve. Now, we naturally despise ingratitude, don't we? We, we despise it in our children. You know, if a grandmom gives uh, something to, to, uh, to your son or granddaughter or to your daughter, right? And they don't express, say, tell grandma, thank you. You know, like we're over there grabbing them by the harushka. You know what a harushka is? My son thinks it's a cruel and unusual punishment, but it's the way they used to in public school. That's how I learned science. Uh, we had a science teacher from Russia, and uh, if you didn't get it, he walked around the room lecturing, and he grabbed the hair on the side and lift you right off the seat. Well, I do that occasionally to David, but he gets his hair so short now, I can't do that. But anyway, he's bigger than me. But a harushka, right? In gratitude, we walk around, and we will deal with that. We can't stand that. The story is told about An Andrew Carnegie, the great steel tycoon of a different day, he was a multimillionaire. He left $1 million for one of his relatives who, in return, cursed Carnegie thoroughly. Can you imagine that? Here's a million bucks. That was a day when a million bucks really bought something, too. He left a million bucks. He cursed Carnegie thoroughly because he had left $365 million to public charities, and he had cut him off with just one measly million. You kind of want to give that guy a harushka, 
right? <laughs> just lift him right out of the seat for that ingratitude. And we hate that. We despise that when we see that, don't we? Say thank you. Express gratitude. Write a note, right? Give a phone call. The problem is, is that often, too often, it's our problem. God, who has given us everything, uh, the least that we can do is say, Lord, thank you so much. Well, in our text today, we're going to look at the, uh, the old story of the ten healed lepers. And if you were in Sunday school and paying attention at all in days gone by, uh, this story filled the imagination, did it not? And let's look at the beloved physician's account in Luke 17. Uh, verses 11 to 17, as uh, he tells uh, this amazing, amazing account. And we're going to notice that there are two ways that you can respond to God's blessing in your life. Two ways. Verse 11. Now on his way, that's Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going uh, into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy. It's the word mercy. Have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Well, there are two ways that you can respond to God's blessing in your life. And make no mistake about it, God welcomes, He always welcomes our expression of gratitude. And He grieves. He grieves over our ingratitude, our lack of thanksgiving. Well, the first way, Roman number one, we often, like these ten desperate men, cry out to Jesus for help. Verses 11 through 14. And I remind you, if you've not, you say, well, that, I've not done that. I'm here to say you will. You will cry out to Jesus in the days to come. How do you know that, you say? Well, such is life. I mean, there are good, there are mountain peaks, and there are deep, deep valleys in life. There are. Unless you're whistling Dixie and step off the curb and get hit by a bus and you're gone... It probably won't happen that way. You're going to have some valleys. And you've had valleys. I'm sure all of you have. And there will be valleys in front of us as well. There will be. God uh, wants us to respond properly. Well, these ten desperate men, they're crying out to Jesus for his help. The occasion in verse 11 teaches us that Jesus you should know, is on his last journey. He's on his journey to his death in Jerusalem. He's come now from Galilee. He's coming down the border between Galilee and Samaria. And uh, if we can trust, the last time I was in Israel, 
when we were in Jericho, the city of Palms, some of you have been there, some of you are there with Faith and I, there the, uh, the guide said that, uh, referred to this text and said, though it's not named in the passage, nor in the other accounts anywhere else, they believed it was Jericho, and that makes good sense, uh, that uh, this occasion of this miracle of the lepers took place outside the city of Jericho and uh, the road that would go, the Jericho road, up into Jerusalem. You should know that, uh, and you wouldn't pick that up from the reading of the text, there's a large thronging crowd that is around Jesus. It's not just Jesus by himself meets the ten outside of the village of Jericho. There is... There are multitudes of women, we find that in the Mark account, that were accompanying the Lord and taking care of his needs. There were the disciples, and there were thronging crowds that were moving with Jesus as he would soon make his way up to Jerusalem. So you don't see that in the text, but they're there as well. Jesus knew what lay ahead of him, number one, his ordained appointment with death. And Matthew puts it, uh, the Lord and the King James put it, I must needs go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He knew what was coming. He knew the plan of the ages, and he was marching toward, in this final journey, toward the city of God, Jerusalem. He went courageously forward, and I'm reminded we should do the exact same thing if you know Christ Don't ever be afraid. Keep going forward. God has laid it all out, all the days of your life and mine. There was an appointment called your birthday with me as as well, and you have another appointment, whether Christ should come and snatch his church away or whether you should die, you have an appointment already figured out. You know that? And God wants you to be a blessing, his blessing. And the Lord is a tremendous example of this. Oh no, there's Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. I'm not going there. I don't read that in the text. The Lord trusted his father and walked one day after the next, after the next, boldly, courageously, trusting. And so should you and so should I. My mother had a blessed pastor years ago up in Buffalo. Jim Andrews uh, founded, uh, it used to be called the Metropolitan Chapel of Buffalo. A plant did a church plant, and the, God blessed it through the years, and it grew and grew right next to a Jewish uh, golf course and country club, and on the other side, strong Roman Catholic, and there in the middle was a tremendous evangelical witness, and God blessed that. And uh, he was a very unusual, very gregarious pastor. I used to love to hear him preach. He, was, he had a flair. He was musical. He'd, he'd preach. And he'd go sit down and play the piano. How about that? And sing to his people. I thought, that's really rare. And then lead them in singing. I thought, well, I better not try that. But, oh, I wish I could do that. But anyway, he was only 63 the same year that uh, Jim, Dr. Boyce died. Um, Around the similar time, uh, uh, Pastor Andrews, 63, was told he had pancreatic cancer. And it was, and pancreatic cancer is not a good diagnosis. Many of you know that. And within a few months, he was so deteriorated, uh, they asked him what he wanted to do. He said, I've taught my people how to live for the Savior all their days, and now I'm going to teach them how to die. 
and they wheeled them out, and it was this week, it was Thanksgiving week, the last time they wheeled them out, it had only been a few months of that same year that Jim Boyce got cancer and died. I, two Jims went gloriously to heaven. They wheeled him out in his wheelchair, and he loved his people and preached to them. And within weeks, if I remember right, he was in heaven. Courageously, courageously living life to the fullest, marching on, not a fear at all of that final threat called death. And our Lord is the same. Here he is. The thronging crowds making his way down. He's outside of Jericho, if we can trust that guide. He's marching on, serving the Father, and so should we. Well, number two, as he approached Jericho, there were ten lepers stood outside the town crying out for his help. Ten lepers. We know from the context that, that one was a Samaritan. He was a hated foreigner by the Jews. The other nine, probably Jewish. And there they are, all together, an odd mixture, mixed nationality of sufferers. And I'm reminded that misery always melts former prejudices. People that in their sin have hatred toward others, throw them into the common bond of a disaster or of uh, some sort of great physical malady and all of that those previous hatreds tend to melt away. And that's exactly the case here. Nine probably Jewish, one Samaritan, bonded together outside a little shanty area uh, with uh, crates and coverings of cardboard if they had it in that day or any sort of lean-to. They were the real outcast of that day, and they're crying out to the Lord for his mercy. Well, B, leprosy. You know, leprosy was a death sentence. We don't hear of that today. Leprosy, although I did see something in the New York Times yesterday about a leper. Very, very rare. Uh, but leprosy was the death sentence. Much like we may think of HIV or AIDS, sometimes some very bad cases of cancer, we think of it. But leprosy, some one man writes, was dying inch by inch. Not a bad way to think about that terrible disease in a day long ago where we didn't have the diagnostics and the medical care and the pharmaceutical care that we enjoy and are certainly blessings to us today. There was no known cure for this disease. It was horrible. It was horrible. And the terrible social consequences in ancient Israel only added to the misery. You should know that. They were the outcasts, the untouchable. They were treated as the living dead. They were cut off from the community. Prior days, they have, might have been the successful merchant who ran the shop. They may have been the, uh, the teacher of the children. They may have been the ruler of the synagogue. They, may have, they have, might have been a mother or grandmother. But now their, their, their gatherings with their families were totally excluded. Think of that this week as we gather most of us with friends and families and at Thanksgiving time around the table, even at such holiday times, if you had leprosy, you were out. You couldn't even come in. You could have no more contact with your family. They were ostracized. It only added to the degree of the misery of those who were the leprous of that day, cut off from the community, including their family. They had to live outside the community. And, and not, if that weren't bad enough, the law required anyone that approached 
they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, to keep folks away, lest they also should somehow contract that dreaded disease. William Barclay, in one of his writings, describes the hideous progression of, uh, of this leprosy. Let me read a little bit of what he said to give you an idea how terrible this, this disease was in that ancient day. He writes, it might begin with little nodules which go on to ulcerate. The ulcers developed a foul discharge. The eyebrows would fall out. The eyes would become staring. The vocal cords become ulcerated. The voice becomes hoarse. And the breath wheezes. The hands and feet always ulcerated. Slowly the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. The average course of that kind of leprosy was nine years, and it ended in mental decay, coma, and ultimately death. He goes on to say leprosy might begin with the loss of all sensation in some part of the body. The nerve trunks are affected, the muscles waste away, the tendons contract until the hands are like claws. There falls ulceration to the hands and feet. Then comes the progression of the loss of fingers and toes until in the end a whole hand or a whole foot may just fall off the body. The duration of that kind of leprosy, he writes, it could range from 20 to 30 years. It was a kind of terrible progressive death in which a man dies by inches. How terrible is that? Well, often this terrible disease is used in our Bible figuratively to picture the effect of sin in the life. You can see how readily it fits, that somehow sin, rendering us unclean before holy God, separated, without cure, without hope, cast outside, it's, it's a perfect fit. It cuts us off from God. We are the living dead. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, and it results in no hope. Keep your finger in Leviticus. I just want to remind you of the effects of sin that's in us by nature. In Romans 3, I often call this the anatomy of depravity. As Paul is, uh, is going to pronounce the God's sentence upon all human beings, on all of us, every one of us, doesn't matter if you look nice or smell good today. You were born this way, and so was I. And he describes it in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and following, quoting the Old Testament, as it is written, there is, a, there is none, no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Look at, and he goes on to the anatomy now. Their throats are open grave. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth, that's every human being who's ever been, every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in the sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
Well, see, as dead men, these uh, ten lepers, they cry out to Jesus in our text, and they say, in the, in the Greek, it's just, mercy us, Lord Jesus, mercy us. They're crying out with a loud voice, mercy us. Now, why would they do that? They did that because they knew that they could not save themselves. They could not help themselves. You know, people that, that think that they're able to get by and do it themselves don't cry out like this. I was a lifeguard years ago, and, and even before that I had, had the chance and opportunity to, uh, down at the river, help a guy who was having trouble. I didn't know if he was going to go down or not. But when they start screaming, you know that they're in deep help. They need help. People that uh, don't know they have a need or don't know they're dead or drowning, don't yell out, mercy me, help. Even with people with advanced degrees and high social position, don't do it. But when they come to the reality that their sin has made them like lepers before holy God, or they have a physical need, or you have a physical need, or a family need, or a financial need, when, it's, when it comes down, I am hopeless. If he doesn't help me, I'm in trouble. Mercy me. Lord, help me, is what they said. They knew they could not help themselves. No, I noticed they didn't ask for justice. Lord Jesus, give us justice. A lot of people think that, Lord. They think they're pretty good. I mean, just give me what I deserve. Don't ever pray that way. You know, it's not a bad thing. I think I have it on your sheet. They were at the end of themselves. And you know what? That's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. Now, it's good to get all the skill, all the ability, all the education you get, and do your very best at your work. No question about that. Don't be slipshot with that. God never is. But don't think somehow your goodness or your ways or your nice personality is somehow God's going to smile at you and say, you're welcome in the glory. No way. You've got to come to the end of yourself and see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And if you've never trusted Christ the Lord, there's a death sentence hanging right over your head. Don't you die like that. You better cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Save me. These men are crying out. They, had, they were living death. They were the living zombies, if you will. Mercy us. They knew they couldn't do it themselves. And that's not a bad place to be. When all the props are knocked out, and then you'll know it was the Lord, not you. It was Him. That's not bad. Well, Jesus always hears D. He always hears such a prayer. Isn't that great? The thronging crowds, we would miss it. We'd be looking for the hot dog stand or Hey, where's the mayor? You know, I'm coming into Jericho. Hey, look at the palm trees. It's, uh, Jericho, is, uh, they have palm trees actually there. It's uh, very low. It's probably uh, 1,300 feet below sea level. You go from high Jerusalem with about 2,800 feet above, and within 30 miles, you, you're, you go way down into the, to the ravine uh, of Jericho, which is the north side of the Dead Sea there. And there are palm trees and date trees and all the rest. It's warm. It's nice. No snow down there. You may get it in Jerusalem occasionally. And, uh, and, and the thronging crowd. And the Lord, he's not like taken up by, wow, this is, oh, wow. 
you go into Chicago, we'll go see Jonathan. What a look at that skyline! It's beautiful. Like not even oblivious to what's around. The Lord's not. He hears lepers, right? The living dead over there. They're not near anybody. The thronging crowds coming in, and it's a great reminder that the Lord always hears such a cry. Mercy, mercy us. Mercy me. Help, help, Lord, help. And the Lord's not too occupied with what's going on at the immediate and where he's headed that he doesn't hear it. And that encourages me. He always hears such a prayer. He sees them and he responds. Verses 13 and 14. Let's reread that again. And, and they called out in a loud voice. I bet they did, as raspy as it probably was. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Mercy us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priest. The Lord hears, he sees, and he responds. Number one, I, I would say this to you. It's a rare occasion for Jesus to... to to be even close to them, and not to be with others. What do I mean by that? Out of all the places in all the world, on, these, on this final, this death march, if you will, of Jesus going to Jerusalem, there he is by God's ordained purpose outside of, let's say it is Jericho, and he hears these ten, do you think there were not lepers in other places? There were. But it was the, these ten that he would hear and see and heal. And I would say it was the day of God's visit to them. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this. Listen, there are times when God visits us. And you better be very tender to that when he visits. When the Spirit of God uh, comes near to you. Maybe it was when you became freshly aware that you were a sinner lost in need of a Savior. And maybe that visitation, that awareness that you're unclean and lost and, uh, and guilty and hell-bound, and the Spirit of God drove those truths deeply into your heart that you were not okay. You needed to pay attention to the visitation of God's Spirit, and maybe you responded and were saved. Maybe that day is here for you. Maybe you're here and you've never been saved. And the very fact that you're here is a visitation of God and His Word and the Spirit close to you. It, it, this place could be filled with everyone else, and God still be holy and just. And I would call it the day of God's visit, and we need to respond to that. And maybe, uh, maybe you've named the name of Christ, and, and you've just been wayward. You've been, you've, you're far afield from where you ought to be, and you know that. And it's the tender mercy of God that you should be here and that you should hear the tender voice of the Spirit of God saying to you, where, are, where have you been? You need to get on your face and get right with me. Well, here's the reason why. is because Jesus did not stay there at Jericho. He then left and went on. And when we say no to the Spirit of God and no to His working in our life, be careful and say, well, manana, 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 another day I'll deal with this. You may not have manana. And the callousness of our hearts gets so calloused. If you say no today, you'll probably more easily say no tomorrow to the God's Spirit, when He touches your life, that that's not right, and that's not right, and you know it, and I know it. It was the day of God's visit there to these ten, these blessed ten. 
Now, I can remember in my own life at various points where God visited me in some uh, remarkable ways. I didn't see him. I heard his word. I knew in my heart I wasn't right, and God produced salvation. And then at various other points, I wasn't where I ought to be, and God dealt with me. I learned the teaching, be careful, your sin will find you out. God has a way of uncovering that and dealing with you and bringing you back. And you never want God just to give you up. Romans 1. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave. You never want that because it's the downward spiral. Disaster waiting to happen. Whether young or old, it doesn't matter. This was the day of God's visitation to these ten. Oh, what a blessed thing. What a blessed thing it is that God should visit you and visit me with his Spirit. Praise God for that. Oh, what a privilege it is. How thankful I am for that. It was a rare occasion, you have to admit, that Jesus should visit these ten. Number two, our Lord was not too occupied with his own coming sorrow. You notice that? But he cares for them. He cares for them. He was the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. How was that? He was a holy man living in a wicked, foul world. You know, you think of innocent folks, and for them to see the display of wickedness, how it must torment the soul. The Bible says that of Noah. He was a righteous man to live the, the tormentation of that evil in that day for 100 and, over 100 years in the building of that ark. Now here's the man of sorrows, the holy God living among a godless people. And how much that tormented him. Here he is going to go up to Jerusalem and be killed, betrayed, separated from the Father, spiritual death. And he's not too busy. We love busyness, don't we? Americans are busy. I saw it. I mean, I, I saw it even over the Middle East. They're not busy. They're not busy like we are. They're not. Now, sometimes the Germans are. They work, work, work. They have a heart attack, and they take heart pills, and they work, work, work. I think too much of us are like that. Work. And we, we say that with our friends, right? How you doing? I'm busy. Great. What do we say? Hey, I'm just kicking back. I haven't done much lately. You bum. You know, I can't. That's the way we, we're just programmed to think that way, right? I'm just, hey, I'm just enjoying life, right? Get a job, you, you know, we, we don't say that, but we think that, don't we? We do. And the Lord is, he's, he's about to do the greatest work ever. These are the lowest form of all humanity, outcast. And the Lord is, is getting ready to suffer the greatest grief. We know that from Gethsemane. And he's not too busy. He's not too busy. It, it's, it, it thrills me to see that. He cares for them. Our Lord is man's only hope. You notice it's not Washington. Have you figured that one out? It's not even Harrisburg. Sorry, Beth. It's not, not even Harrisburg. It's a beautiful building there, but... Uh, he alone is, is the hope for the hopeless. And that's what men and women are apart from Christ. I hear a lot of nonsense today uh, insofar as uh, a lot of roads leading to heaven. The Bible never teaches that. Never. Don't tell me if you never heard of Christ, but if you're a good Muslim, you're going to end up in heaven. Impossible. 
then Christ did not even need to come to die. Impossible. Impossible. None of that. That's garbage and rubbish. That's satanic to the core. It's a lie. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We live in a day where people have mush between their ears. They don't think rightly. It's, it's, it's the corruption, really, of, of the way people think today in this postmodern day where there are no absolutes. Absolutely, right? You'll hear things. That's not what the Bible says. Let God be true and every man a liar. I was preaching in Qatar, and I touched on an application. I, I said, you know, the Scriptures are clear that you're not to marry anyone who's an unbeliever. I, I, don't, I forgot the emphasis I was making, but it was a direct application. And I talked about partnerships. I talked about, you know, from Second Corinthians, being not unequally yoked. And the elders gathered around me and said, wow, that, we don't hear that at all. I said, well, why not? That's, that's Bible 101. That's what God said. It's not my idea. If you're mad at don't be mad at me. I'm just delivering the patriot news. God wrote the message. It's his message. You got a problem, you got a problem with him. There's only one way to be saved. One. And the Lord, on his way to his death, takes time and he cares and provides hope for the hopeless. Now, I'm sure in number three, his command to go to the priest. Don't you love that? Verse 14, go to the priest. Even before they experienced healing, caused some discussion among them. <laughs> I mean, the Bible doesn't say this, but we could have some fun imagining. Ten, ten, they're, they're crying out, they're crying out, they're crying out. The Lord hears them, and, and uh, he tells them to go to the priest. Now, there's a lot here. Now, perhaps they heard from Luke. Luke 5 it is the account where the Lord came upon the other leper. Remember that in Luke's account? The physician had to note a couple of these physical healings like this. And there the Lord tenderly, the text says, he touched the leper. Wasn't that tender? And, uh, and he, said, be, he said, be healed or be clean. You know, so he's touching him. He's pronouncing healing and all the rest. Here... Very different. The tenor crying out. The next thing the Lord says, go to the priest. Well, Moses' law required that. That if you were a leper, then you had to, and you were all of a sudden to be clean for whatever reason, this incurable disease, then the priest had to pronounce you clean. He had to go through a whole thing so that you could re-enter society again without contaminating. You could even enter into the temple and worship. But the, the discussion among the ten might have been something like, well, that's not what he did with the other guy. We heard about that. He went from, through some sort of magical sort of thing, you know. He touched him, and then he said a few magical words. I don't know. Someone else might have said, well, we're going to look pretty foolish going to the priest for, uh, for cleansing when, in fact, we're still leprous, right? Someone else might have said, my feet are falling off. How can I even go? I can't even walk. How do I, what do I do? Crawl? How do I get there? I mean, is he kidding? Right? All kinds of, of, of imagined discussion going on there. And you know what? It's a reminder that God is sovereign and God is able to do 
anything he wants at any moment he wants. It's not a prescribed formula. It's not magic. You know, jump on one foot and touch your shoulder three times and put salt over the other side. That nonsense. All the Lord had to do was think the thought. All he had to do, it's done. It's amazing, the sovereign God. Go and show yourself to the priest. Here Jesus heals at a distance. Without touching them, he's God. And what do they do? They take Jesus at his word. Isn't that great? And so should we. Hey, I'm reminded that's all that they had. Go show yourself to the priest. Cleansed. Well, they weren't. He was, he was calling them to trust his word. That's all that they had. But you know what? That's all that they needed. That's all that we needed. That's all that we need is the word of our Lord. Faith believes in advance what will only make sense in reverse, someone said. Luke, the beloved physician, notes an interest that ten lepers were healed with less than ten words. That's amazing. Wow. I don't think they went very far. I think they, uh, Jesus might have still been, though the text doesn't say, standing in that same place as they turned to head toward the priest, they were healed. Maybe they had gone a mile, maybe a mile and a half, maybe two, maybe just out of sight. And they were healed instantly. Well, we often, like these ten desperate men, cry out to Jesus for his help. And if you haven't lately, you will, unless he should come today or take us home. Such is life in a fallen world. I see there's a second way that we can respond, and that's Roman numeral two. We, too, like these leopards, respond to God's many kindnesses in different ways. In verses 15 to 19. We say, as they were going to the priest, and probably not very far, all ten were instantly healed from their dreaded disease. Instantly. It's a picture of our bodies in the future. Aren't you glad of that? There is healing in the atonement, ultimately and finally. You're going to look better and feel better than you have ever felt in all your life. It's, it's a promise of that, that our bodies, when they're glorified, either through the translation or through the resurrection, will be without any illness. Your brain will function at 100%, and then you'll finally be able to get your calculus, your advanced mathematics. You'll even be able to, maybe we'll all be able to sing on pitch. Won't that be great? play the piano and do all sorts of things. Maybe throw a football, a good hundred yards or so. That'd be something. That'd be great. I wouldn't mind that without my arm falling off. No more diseases, no more blood pressure, no more doctors. Sorry, Todd. No more physician. No more, Mark, you're out of business. I th our teeth, will they all be straight then, Mark? They'll all be straight. How about that? There's good news. And all the rest. Won't that be great? No more need of nurses. No more diagnostic testing. I'm glad for that stuff, I think. But uh, no more need of that. No more aches and pains. 
The ten lepers picture that. Isn't that a beautiful picture of that? They're all healed instantaneously, yet only one returns to loudly praise God and give thanks to Jesus. Only one, verses 15 and 16, register that. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Remember, God always likes it loud. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And the way Luke writes this, in the Greek it's like, and he thanked him, and you can, can you imagine a Samaritan? It's like rendering shock that this foreigner, this one that was hated by the nation of Israel, he's the only one to come back and to express gratitude and praise to God and thanks to the Lord Jesus. It's amazing. He comes near, now he comes near Jesus. Notice that? He's, he's healed. He's not far away yelling. He's near. Throws himself on his face at Jesus' feet to give thanks. In regard to God who is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And isn't our God that way? And the sense is, and the verb is that he thanked him and thanked him and thanked him. It's a present active participle. It was continual. It wasn't like, I said thanks, isn't that enough? I think one of my ch children said that one day. <laughs> no, that's not enough. But he kept thanking over and over and over again, expressing his gratitude from that walking death sentence called leprosy. Wow, and so should we. So should we. One man writes, bitterness requires that you live in the past. Hope requires that you live for tomorrow, but gratitude not only allows you to enjoy the present, but keeps you looking to the future. The beauty of a thankful heart. Well, lesser things, like appearing before the priest, they could wait. They could certainly, certainly wait. All ten had had the same greatness of God pressed upon them, but only one came back to praise God. Incidentally, there is a misnomer. Sometimes when we sing, we'll call that, well, we want to worship God. Technically, um, it, it goes this way, and it's real clear in the Greek, when we, when, when we praise God, it's always up. We praise God. But even in the form of the, of the Greek word to worship means on our face down. So the idea is when we praise God, we look up and we praise Him, but when we worship, we're face down in humble adoration before Him. And that's what this cleansed leper is doing, worshiping and expressing gratitude to God. Well, Jesus asked, but were there not nine? Were there not nine others? And by this, in verse 17 and 18, he registers his disappointment. And the other nine, probably all Jews, were missing. They were no-shows, not from a game, but from the essence of life and God's bountiful blessing. No-shows to the disappointment of the Lord Jesus. Now, one man writes that probably these nine typified in their absence the Jewish nation that had been so blessed 
Well, the visitation of God in the person of Jesus who had fed them and healed them and taught them and yet were rejecting him. And he's probably right. He's probably right. Spurgeon wrote this, There are far more who are prone to pray in a time of need than to praise God when he meets that need. Isn't that sad? More will pray, but when God answers, few will praise. Oswald Chambers wrote, The great difficulty spiritually is to concentrate on God. And here's the reason why. It's his blessings that make it difficult. God blesses us with with lives and the fullness of it, and our difficulty in focusing on God and rendering gratitude is because of his blessings. If we got wiped clean of all that, we'd be focusing on God again, wouldn't we? Lord, I need help. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. But he fills our life with bounty, so much so, and then we sort of get clouded by that bounty, and we don't praise God. He goes on to write, trouble nearly always makes us look to God. His blessings are more apt to make us look elsewhere. Oh, the dilemma of our hearts. Lessons for our life. Let's, I've, I've given quite a number of these. Let's go through these and we'll be done. Number one, I remind you again, it's a rare day of Jesus' visit. Let me urge you to respond rightly to God's visit in your life, whether you need to be saved today of the penalty of your sin, or whether you just need to come back to that place of blessing and obedience. Don't say manana. These men responded here. These lepers responded in the day of God's visitation. They responded in faith and obedience, and they got the blessing. And may that be your life and mine. The day of God's visit. Number two, I'm reminded that Jesus often does the unexpected thing in our lives. You go like, well, I... I wasn't thinking that's how it was going to turn out. I wasn't thinking God was going to answer it that way. And a lot of times we think in terms of A, B, and C, don't we? Well, Lord, and we'll pray that way. Lord, I figured this out. You could do A, you can do B, or you can do C. Lord, one of those things in my hour of need or my family's need, and the Lord does what? Double Z. Like, like whoa, I wasn't thinking that. And sometimes takes us through some avenues that will really stretch us that we didn't want to go through, but when we went through it and we looked back, it was good for us all the way around, and God got the glory, and he blesses, and we go like, wow. These ten lepers were not expecting to be healed that way. He didn't do the voodoo and everything else or the touching and the pronouncement he did to the other guy, and the same thing's true in our life. Well, I could go on story after story how God has done things in faith in my life. One thing after another, like, we were not thinking of it that way. And sometimes you go through deep water. But to God be the glory. He's so good. And he's so kind. He carries us through, and that's the reality. He carries us. Be amazed and give him all the glory. He's God, even in the unexpected thing. Number three. We must always respond to Jesus' word. Always, always, always. That's all that we need is the word of God. Go and show yourself to the priest. That was his word to those lepers on that day. 
And God has given us His Word. And we are to respond in faith. The just shall live by faith. What? Faith in God's Word. Faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the Word of God. It is everything to us. It is the Word. Grace Church is founded upon the teaching and the preaching, the expositional teaching of God's Holy Word. It's the only thing that changes. If you think I can do a, a, a pony and a, and a light and flash show up here and it's going to do anything, forget it. I'll stay home. I won't even show up. If God doesn't meet with us with the Spirit and, and take the Word of God and, and drive it into each of your hearts and in my heart, we might as well just stay home. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of Christ in us. And we must always respond to it. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes. There is nothing else. It is the Word of God. We must respond to Jesus' Word, whether we understand it or, or not. A lot of times our giving is that way. We're, we can be misers. Someone said the last thing we give up is our checkbook. You might be so. So, Lord, if I give that up, what am I going to do? You need to trust the Lord, and, and He'll have avenues and ways that you can't even imagine. He wants to teach you of His glory and His greatness, or in witnessing, or of orchestrating and, and, and establishing a godly home and marriage and family and, and, and your work life and, and all of that. Do it God's way. Do it His way. Respond to His Word. Number four, here's another case where the majority had it wrong. How about that? We, we who Americans love to vote, right? Democracy, the republic. I'm reminded the majority can be just as goofed up as a single person. They can be. Here are nine, nine of them, right? Nine of them. I'm not going back. They must have had a discussion. The Samaritan was healed, said, we've got to go back and thank the Lord Jesus. No, we'll do it another day. He said, anyway, we ought to go to a priest. Another case where the majority had it wrong. Don't be surprised by the majority. We, we are minority. If you love the Lord Jesus, you are a minority. Maybe there are one in ten, even in our country, that love the Lord. You swim in it, live in it, in a world of paganism, in a culture that's anti-Christian. Don't be surprised. One man writes, majorities impress us too much. Another man writes, one in God is a majority. I like that. I need to know that. Particularly, maybe you're in an office or you're in a family where you're standing all alone. I came out of a family where when I left the family business, there was a lot of emotion in that. My mother and father didn't help me move. I love my mom and dad very much and, and all that. My dad wasn't saved. and I have such fond memories growing up, but those were some very hard days for Faithy and I. And we felt really cut off. We went out to seminary, and I almost had no contact with them during those years. They only ever came out twice, and uh, they're kind of homebound anyway. And then my father died, and, and my mother's only ever heard me teach the Word, what, twice maybe, dear? Maybe twice. And, and all that. And, uh, and just recently, I, I was so encouraged uh, as we stood for the Lord all those years in, uh, in my family, and it wasn't always easy. But uh, my mother said to me the other day on the phone when I, was, I asked her to pray about our trip to Qatar. And at the end of it, I'd been sending her some outlines. She had never knew I did outlines. 
And she had asked me, do you have any? I said, oh, Mom, I have files. I got notebooks full of outlines. You want outline? So I sent her Ecclesiastes. And she called, I talked to her. She said, oh, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> yeah, she said that to me. She said, like, she's like going on. And then we're talking about Cutter. And at the end, she said, you're, you're like the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I almost, I'm still winded thinking that is a different message right there we felt like we stood alone in our, in our family and uh we were really kind of the outcast for christ and and i know it sounds goofy to try and explain it to you and partly because i don't understand it completely myself <laughs> it's beyond it you know but uh the lord has allowed her to live long enough to to i said lord thank you for that you don't think i'm like screwy or something you know it's another case where, you know, you stood alone, we stood alone, we did what the Lord had, and, and God allowed his blessing even to come. I'm thankful for that. Number five, why is it that we are, we are why is it that often our prayer is easier than our praise? Why is it? I hate that. We should also be on our faces and giving thanks and praise to God. You do that. Many of you have quiet time. I urge you to kneel. Get alone. Go shut the door like Jesus said. And your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you openly. I do that. I go in. No one's up anyway. I shut the door. Well, David gets up. Early. And uh, shut the door and pray. Do that. Why are we more apt to, to pray? Lord, help! You know, I need help, 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 help. Like the roofer was going off the roof, right? And he starts screaming to his buddy, help. And then he cries out to God, help, help, right? And all of a sudden the nail, the last nail on the gutter catches his pants. And hooker by crook, it hangs him there so he doesn't go down and break his neck. And the buddy yells, you need help? No, I don't need help from God or anyone. This nail helped me. What's the, you just kind of want to take him out and shoot him, you know, just kind of. Just, I don't know why that is. We, we're fond of yell, help, we need this, we need that. Let's be ever quicker, especially Thanksgiving week, and the rest of us say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. So the people around us get sick. Why is he always saying thank you? May we be that, okay? Number six, don't be fooled. The Lord is grieved when we love his gifts more than he, the gift giver. Here they love being healed more than they love the healer. Be careful about that. God shares with us the bounty of life, the bounty of it. I mean, our question is, how big a turkey are we going to get? Is it a 20-pounder, 30? Some lady at Wegmans yesterday said, are these all the bigger ones you got, Julie? She's saying, what, 12 or 13-pounders? They were the cheap turkeys. But uh, um, how? I mean, look at the bounty that we live in. The bounty of the land. Love the gift giver more than his gifts. Number seven, as sinners like lepers, we are hopeless apart from Christ. You must, too, cry out for God's mercy in Christ. It's Christ alone. Unclean, unclean should be our shout. We come to realize our sinfulness and our lostness. Number eight and last, just as the nine never did return to Jesus, 
You never find it in the text. They didn't come back the next day. Never recorded. The nine never returned to give thanks. I say to you and say to me, let's beware of the same tendency toward hard-heartedness. You have it, and so do I. Oh, I loathe it. May we beware of it. At its core, one writes, thanksgiving is really an act of humility, for it acknowledges our debt to another person. Well, don't be a no-show. I know you won't be this week, Thanksgiving week. You can't miss it Thursday. Take some time. Go around the table, give thanks, do all kinds of creative things. But every day, can I say it? Every day ought to be Thanksgiving Day. Or you need an attitude adjustment. We used to say that sometimes. Parents will say that with children. Does he need an attitude adjustment today? Or you'll need an attitude adjustment. Don't be a no-show, all right? Let's show up and give thanks to the Lord. We have so much to be thankful for.